0: Text this morning, the eighth commandment, Exodus 20 and verse 15, thou shalt not steal. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Pray you would open to us your word this morning so that we might understand it. Not only that we would understand it, but Lord, give us your spirit so that we can obey it and walk in your ways. We ask this in your name. Amen. When I read this commandment, or when I think about it and prepare for this morning, then my mind goes back to a story that I've told you all. Uh, I see a. I think I was a, b- between four and six years old, uh, riding on a big blue church bus on the road back from Mitchell, South Dakota, or Martin, South Dakota. All the all the seats have been pulled out of this big blue church van, church bus, uh, so that they could load it up with all of my aunt and uncle's belongings and move them out to out to South Dakota to be missionaries. You can imagine how fun a 13, 14, 15 hour trip in a big old church, church bus with no seats in it was for a little four to six year old boy. There were no seat belts, I couldn't wear a seat belt. So I got to just, I would run, I can still remember running back and forth down the middle aisle and the funny feeling that that was because the, the bus was doing about 55 or 60 miles an hour and so when I'd run one way, it was like I was running really, really fast. And then when I was running the other way, you could feel the movement of the bus. And and I can remember that. And on the bus, I had with me a, a brown teddy bear, a stuffed animal. And I thought it was about the coolest little brown stuffed animal teddy bear that I had seen. But I felt guilty as I played with it on that long, long trip. Because I had stolen it from my cousins, yes. I liked it so much. Now, it was, it was already old and worn out and really was nothing special, it was very small. And they wouldn't have cared a, a bit if I would have just said, can I have this? But I stole it and I knew that I'd stolen it. I knew I shouldn't have done that. But I had a toy to play with me on the road as I ran up and down the aisle and I would play with my little bear. And uh, years later, <laughs> I think I may have even been a teenager trying to get right with God. I had to go back to my cousins and tell them that I stole that teddy bear from them. <laughs> oh. And that was my that was the first experience I have any memory of of stealing something. And by that definition, just just taking something that doesn't belong to you. Maybe there's nobody here this morning that has any problem with doing that you this whole week went by, and you didn 't shoplift a single time you didn 't shoplift at all, and your neighbors don 't have to lock up their bikes or lock the doors of their car for fear that you 'll rifle through their glove box or run off with their bicycle or whatever because you just you 're not a thief um, but Exodus chapter twenty and verse fifteen is about a lot more uh, than just that one issue of seeing something that belongs to somebody else and taking it and stealing it. The, the word there that's used for stealing is the idea of by stealth, like you snuck, stuck it in your coat or hit it in your pocket or you, you ran off with it. Exodus 20 and f- verse 15, the eighth commandment, is, is the command that encompasses all types of unlawful, unjust taking of what doesn't belong to us. And as we look at it and study it and see what God has to say about this, we'll realize that it it's bigger than just that. In fact, because of the context and some other passages in the, in the uh, Pentateuch, a lot of Bible scholars believe that it, its primary purpose and meaning in the context of the Ten Commandments was actually about man-stealing or kidnapping or... Forced slavery, and this is about stealing somebody else and selling them, taking them by captive and then selling them and making money with them, and then, and then it was also forbidden to own someone that had been had been stolen and put into slavery in that way. And the reason why this is a sin, I mean, I, I understand this should be pretty obvious to us. Culturally, that's not an acceptable thing. Kidnapping, slavery, we would see those as very heinous sins. That wasn't as obvious to the people that the Ten Commandments were given to. But we know from reading our Bibles that Scripture says that we're made in God's image. In fact, when Jesus is asked about paying taxes, remember this? They say to Jesus, is it, is it lawful to pay taxes or not? And they want to catch Jesus on the horns of the dilemma. If Jesus says, yes, you need to pay taxes, then the crowds, the popular opinion will turn against him because taxes are not a popular thing anywhere, anytime, but they're especially unpopular when it's an occupying force of foreigners that are holding your country. And nobody likes them, and so nobody wants to pay taxes. But they're afraid that if Jesus does say, well, no, you don't need to pay taxes, then the Romans will... We'll drop the hammer on Christ. And Jesus answers with so much wisdom when he says, show me a penny, show me, show me a piece of money. And he holds up that money and he says, whose image is this? Whose inscription is this? Well, it's Caesar's. Give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and give to God the things that belong to God. But if that penny has the image of Caesar, whose image do you and I bear? It's the image of God. And therefore, it's we belong to God. So it's wrong to steal another person and sell them because they don't belong to us. They don't even belong to themselves. They belong to Jesus. They belong to God. They're made in God's image. It's this commandment, while it begins with the the idea or possibly the the root issue there is is kidnapping and man-stealing, but it also Of course, it encompasses the idea of taking what doesn't belong to you. Whether that's in the day and age it's written, it would be oxen, sheep, uh, tools would be stolen. But it includes everything and and, um, anything that doesn't belong to you. In fact, it it overlaps with the command against adultery. Because adultery is the taking of a spouse that doesn't belong to you. Um, Proverbs talks about the the, uh, thrill that comes in the heart of the thief and the adulterer at taking what doesn't belong to them. In fact, Proverbs and Visions, he says, stolen waters are sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And it's the picture that, that, that the very fact that it's wrong is part of what makes theft and the theft of another person's spouse and adultery. It gives it that thrill because there's something down in our hearts that wants what, what doesn't belong to us. Theft, embezzlement, all these things are included under the, under the command, do not steal. And the root issue here is, as we already mentioned, comes out with, when we're talking of slavery and kidnapping, is that Scripture teaches us—wait, I'm not going to go there quite yet. We'll get there in just a moment. Um, I, I want to talk to you about what, it, what does it mean when we steal? What, what does that say? about us, and about what we have. The very idea of stealing something, taking something without properly paying someone, stealing something, what it it says is that whatever God has given me is not enough for me. I need more than what I have lawfully. I need to steal. Jesus tells us, he says, your heavenly father knows what you need, and he's ready to give it to you. So when we steal, we're telling God, you're not taking good enough care of me. And we're also saying that what other people have, what other people have been given by God, we need to fulfill our needs. I, as I prepared for this message, I knew there was a thing I started realizing there was a thing I needed to do because theft even includes, uh, we were talking about this before the service, it also includes the idea of intellectual property. So you all would probably grow more than a little uncomfortable if you realized that Brother Martin is preparing messages, or you think he's preparing messages, and then you stumbled onto a website, and it says, oh, prepare, sermons prepared, you can pay a certain fee, and you can get your sermons prepared for you. And if you began to scroll back through that list of sermons, and you said, well, this looks a lot like Brother Martin's sermons. Well, there's Brother Martin's outline and illustrations and every point in scripture from last week and here's the week before. And I had stood up here and presented it as if it was my own sermon. That might make you all a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, some of you, if you teach, you know that you have to check your students' work for plagiarism. That's the idea of taking someone else's ideas and using them as if they're your own. But in the day and age we live in now, a lot of items are digital. And so sometimes we have the idea that we can take something without paying for it and we didn't actually take it because they still have it right we just made a copy of it and it doesn't cost anything to make copy after copy of it so it's not a problem and uh and yet if we're not paying someone for the work that they've put into doing something and we don't have their permission to take it then that can be a form of stealing even when it's sermon books or theology books Like when Pastor Martin gets an email that says, for pastor appreciation, you can choose one of the following. I think there were 14 books, digital books. You can choose one of the following and download it and have it for free. And I said, that's awesome. So I downloaded one of them and I clicked back and I looked at the page and I thought, I clicked again. And you know what? Lo and behold, it allowed me to download all of those books. Instead of just one, I could get all of them for free. Isn't that neat? And Brother Martin downloaded all those books. And then Brother Martin's preparing a message. You shall not steal. And I'm just being honest with you. As I prepared the message, I realized some people might be able to do what I did and have no twinge of conscience. But I really think if we're just going to be, if we're going to be very careful about what God's word says about stealing and taking what doesn't belong to us, the email had been unequivocal. It had been very clear. I was allowed to have one book for free. And the fact that they trusted me to just take one book and left all the others out didn't mean that I could take all the others, did it? So Brother Martin had to go, I'm just confessing to you all, I had to go through and pick out all the extra books. I'd read one of those books And I kept that one. I only have one out of those 14 books. And I deleted all the other. It was a sad day. Because I don't have near enough books. And so I needed more books. You know, I may never get around. Had I kept them, I may never have gotten around to reading them. But what I recognized is that God's word is my judge, not my own, even my own conscience. Paul says we're not judged by our conscience. We're judged by the word of God. And so, therefore, I click delete threw them all in the trash, so that I could preach a sermon without hypocrisy. And in our own lives, none of us, I don't think, would want people to take something we had worked and and put a lot of effort into making. I don't think anyone would want us to want that to be taken without being paid back, right? Without being given fair payment for the work that we had given. And so we want to do that same thing for others. God has provided me with the money to buy books and with plenty of books to read. My wife said, before you buy any more on-sale Kindle books, you need to read more of what you have. I have over 300 of them. I have 1,000 books or more in my bookshelves in my office. I have hundreds of books that I want to read that I haven't gotten around to reading yet. God has provided me generously with everything that I need He's taking care of me, and I need to respect and honor that. We live in a a land that has so many blessings. We're so blessed in so many ways with a functional police department and fire department and and roads that are mostly paved and all the blessings that come along with that. And then tax time comes along I've read people, conservative people, that I've seen social media posts that say, taxes are theft. Do you know that the Bible does not teach that at all? That's not scriptural. The idea that, that it's my money and the government's taking what belongs to me. No, the only reason why I am able to have the kind of income that I have is because I live in a society with a functional government that provides a stable society so that I can work. And if you want to find out what a world looks like when a government doesn't do that for you, go to some third world countries and see what that looks like. See what it, it looks like when a government's not there to give support and, and to our society. Scripture doesn't teach that, it, that, that taxes is theft. In fact, the Bible teaches us that cheating on our taxes is a form of theft. To, uh, and, and it's also lying to say what isn't true. And sign my name on the dotted line and say, I certify that all the things that I've written here are true, but they're not true. That's lying and stealing. And it'll be judged by God. The problem with all these forms of theft that we may not be as aware of because of the culture that we live in is that when theft becomes an accepted part of a culture and society, it actually has a genuine detrimental effect to that society. It undermines progress, both economically and intellectually. In a culture where there's no idea of intellectual property and where things that you invent or, or come up with are not your property for a period of time, it kills innovation. It destroys an innovative spirit. And we can see that in other cultures around the world. And one of the reasons why America has been able to, to make progress in, in technology and biomedics and all the different areas is because of, an, of a concept, an idea that not only are the things that I own, the material possessions that I own, not only do they belong to me, but the ideas that I come up with. If I, if I invent something, that also I have a share in the profits and the, the property that, that that idea even contains. And so when a when a culture rejects that completely, it, it makes it very difficult for people to feel any sense of impetus to create and to make things. We can we can see that in the same way when someone is if you if you lived in a culture where you knew that the wealth that you uh, made, the wages that you earned, you knew would all be maybe most of them would be stolen by people. There's no, there's no desire to, to, uh, to accrue those kind of benefits around you because why try? It's just going to get stolen away through corruption and, and outright theft and robbery. So why would, I, why would I try to improve myself? This is the kind of thing that we can see in an inner city where possessions just end up being stolen away so that there's no need to, to uh, create value and wealth in our culture. Throughout the Bible, we can see examples of theft. We can see people that stole. And if we look at the examples and then the effects of those thefts, it gives us a little bit of an idea of the way God views theft. Think of uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Um, It's in Acts chapter 5. It's a story of them... That of their their disobedience, but it's less about theft than it is about their dishonesty. It's about their hypocrisy more than it is about the decisions that they made. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, there's people that are selling their property and they're just pouring their money into the the help of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, This is in the very early days of the church and many people are losing their jobs and their families because of of uh, their decision to follow Jesus, and so uh, those people are now in really really difficult circumstances, not able to self-support. And so those that are wealthy that have have properties and so forth are are selling their property and they're giving that money to the disciples, and the disciples are able to use that to uh, to pay for the food and clothing and, and care for widows and and orphans and and families that aren't able to to provide for themselves. And Ananias and Sapphira see this going on and they decide that they're going to kind of do the same thing. But instead of truly giving to God, instead they they decide to say that they're giving everything to God, but they only give part. And it represented theft and lying just in the sense of giving. They, Peter's clear with them. He says, You could have kept all you could have kept it for yourself. The, the church didn't require everybody to to uh, sell their property and give it to the church. And that's an important point. Realize that, that that wasn't what was going on in Acts chapter 4 and 5. That the church wasn't saying, Okay, everybody, uh, I want you to sell your house. I want you to sell your house. And we all need that for the common treasury in the church. He says, It was your own. It was your own. It belonged to you. But you've come and you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And that that out of that, they were taking what belonged to God because they had told God they were going to give it to him. They had said, we're giving you everything and they hadn't really done that. David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. uh, This is a case of, of adultery where David sees a woman that doesn't belong to him and he lusts after her and before the story's over, he's killed her husband and he's taken her to be his wife. And then the final story is in Joshua chapter 7. And that's the story of Achan. And in that story, the children of Israel have conquered the city of Jericho. But they've been told by God. God says, because I'm the one that helped you to conquer this city, it was through my power and not through your own. Everything in the city belongs to me. All the perishable items have to be burned with fire. And all of the, the uh, things that can endure fire, silver, gold, bronze, iron, all those things, they have to pass through the fire, but they are for the worship of God. They're for the temple. And Achan steals what belongs to God. He takes it and uses it for himself. And out of that, 30 people die. And finally, Achan himself is killed. In each one of the stories, the three examples that I've given you, the result was death. In David's story, the result of his decisions was the death of Bathsheba's husband. And God's judgment on him was the death of his own son the product of that adulterous relationship. God judges very harshly those who choose to disobey his words about theft. And the same thing with Achan. Achan's entire family is destroyed and people around him are destroyed and it all came back to Achan's decision to steal. So far as I've studied this and as I've spoken to you all this morning, the focus has been on our own personal possessions. But I've hinted at a few different times and in different ways that that really is not the scriptural picture per se. It's not just about our personal possessions. In other words, the Bible doesn't say that theft is wrong because you're taking what belongs to someone else for yourself. It's actually because the scriptural idea is that you and I are stewards and everything that we have been given has been given to us by God. And so therefore, when we take what God has given to the stewardship of someone else, that's wrong because we're not only robbing them, but we're robbing God himself. We're taking what doesn't belong to us. This story, we could, we could sum up the principle that I'm trying to give you in the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember that a lawyer comes to Jesus and wants to to, uh, ask him a question. He says to Jesus, he says, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus said, well, it's to love the Lord with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then the Bible tells us that that lawyer wanted to justify himself. And so he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him a story. And that story, while the primary purpose of that story is about, about neighborliness and the way we treat other people, Woven into that story is Jesus' picture of personal possessions and the right perspective on those possessions. Jesus says, There's a certain man, he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he falls among thieves. You and I, when we read that story, we just say, Jerusalem to Jericho, okay, ho-hum. But actually, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a a rocky road. there's There's a steep incline. And as soon as Jesus says Jerusalem to Jericho, what comes up in the mind of the hearers is it would be like me telling a story up here says, well, there was a certain man that decided to walk through Inglewood, Chicago at one o'clock in the morning. And the minute I tell you all that story, something clicks in your mind, you go, oh boy, this is not going to be a good story. This is not going to be the kind of story where, and as he was walking down the street, he met an old friend and they sat on a park bench and talked for hours and he went home with a warm feeling in his heart. That's not the kind of story it's going to be, right? When I tell you that somebody walked through Englewood in the middle of the night, you know that there's going to be bad things happen. And when Jesus says, this man walked from Jerusalem to Jericho, we know that bad things are going to happen. And sure enough, the man is attacked by thieves. They beat him half to death. They leave him for dead. They take away all his possessions. They run off with him. And Jesus says, uh, a Levite walks by that way. And he sees the man and he walks by. He doesn't do anything for him. A priest walks by, doesn't see anything, sees him, won't do anything for him. But then a certain Samaritan sees the man and stops. He bathes him. He cleanses his wounds. He binds him up. He puts him on his own donkey, on his own donkey. He takes him to an inn and he says, which would be kind of a primitive hospital sort of, he says, take care of this man. Here's money to take care of him. And if there's anything, I'm going to come and check up on him. And if there's anything more he needs, I'll take care of that as well. And then Jesus asked the question, which one was neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? He says, well, uh, the one that showed mercy. The lawyer couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. Got a knot in his throat whenever he tried to say that word Samaritan because he despised Samaritans. But Jesus says, you're right. You go and do likewise. What did that Samaritan do? Well, think about it like this. I I read this somewhere a long time ago, and in a message about stealing, I don't want to pretend as if this was my own idea. Do you understand? So I read this somewhere. I have no idea who came up with this first. Maybe different people have said this, but it's like this. Those three different groups represent three different views of possessions. And the thief said, what's yours is mine. I want to take it. The Levite and the priest said, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. But the Samaritan said, what's mine is yours, and I'm going to share it. And Jesus pictures a view that instead of seeing stealing is wrong because it's taking what belongs to someone else, instead it's taking what God has given to them, they're a steward of all they possess. And I must not do that because God has given me in stewardship, everything that I need. When, when Paul dealt with this in the, in the book of Ephesians, in his epistle, Ephesians chapter four and verse 28, here's what he says to people that had once been thieves themselves. He says, some of you have stolen, but let the one that stole steal no more. Instead, let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good so that he may save up a lot of money and have a good life. Is that what it says? No. Let him labor working with his hands so that he may have to give to the one that needs. You know, God has has given us so much. He's entrusted us with so many blessings. But we're stewards of that. Do you know that that means that just like it would be theft for me to take what belongs to someone else, There's a sense where it's theft when God has entrusted me with my possessions in order for me to bless others and instead I choose to lavish all of those blessings on myself. We react with a lot of uh, anger as a culture towards people that are tasked with being in charge of a charitable foundation and then they pay themselves large salaries out of that foundation. We've talked about this before, you know. None of us want to give to a charitable foundation when you know that only maybe 5 or 6% actually goes to real charities, right? You wouldn't want to pay that money into the charity. It would really, and in fact, you would view that person as a thief and a liar. You would say, you're running this charitable foundation. You claim that you, you have been given all of these funds for the good of the people around you. But instead, you're just using it to enrich yourself. But when God tells us that we're a steward of the things that he's given us, and then we use those blessings to just make our lives comfortable and good, is that a problem? Are we being unfaithful to our stewardship? Now, this is not a guilt trip sermon. This isn't meant to say that I, we get to judge one another about the way that we spend. That's not not a scriptural idea. We don't don't get the privilege of deciding how one another spends our money. I'm I'm asking us to come to God's word and realize that God has given us the things that he's given us, the blessings that he's poured out on our lives as investments that we're to bless other people with. And that it's actually stealing from God to take what he's given us to bless others and use All of that on ourselves with no regard for anyone else. Now, we have responsibilities and we have expenses. We have bills and all those things need to be paid. We have to live a life. But may God help us not to live a life that's so self-indulgent it leaves us with nothing left over for anyone else. Malachi chapter 3. God is bringing judgment on the nation of Israel. And he calls out words of judgment through the prophet Malachi on the people. And what does he say to them about their sinfulness? He says uh, in chapter two, um, chapter three, eight, I had written it down and I didn't get it here. Chapter three and verse eight, he says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. He says you've stolen from God. Just like he says to Achan, he'd stolen from God. He says to the children of Israel, you have robbed me. How have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. Bring all your gifts into the storehouse so that my house may be full. And... Uh, I'm sorry, so that there may be meat in my house and prove me now. In other words, test me to see if I would open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you cannot contain it. Now this message, that was not a verse to segue from there into your giving. For one thing, if if you're not, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. I don't have any need to drag money out of anybody. And God has blessed this church immensely through your giving. I simply want us to come to God's word and his command about about what he, the way he wants us to view our possessions, and realize that it is wrong to steal. That's for sure. Scripture condemns theft and the thief. But God also says in His Word that there's condemnation for those who choose to use the blessings that God has poured out on them, just in service of self. Think about the 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 uh, three stewards. That when the good man of the house goes, he gives a stewardship to each of them: to one five talents, to one two talents, and to one just one talent. And he asks, he gives them that money not to bless themselves, but to invest it to bless others. And the condemnation that he heaps upon the man who chooses not to invest that. What I pray for each one of us is that we choose to use the possessions that God has given them us to invest them in his kingdom. You know, at the end of the day, I care a lot less about whether the money's coming here than about our view towards our possessions, what we're doing with our money. May God help us to have a wholesome, holy, godly view that recognizes someday, just as we'll give account for every word that we say, we'll give account for every penny that we spend the dollars that we spend. And may we, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, be able to look without shame and say, Lord, I invested what you gave me in a way that honored you and built up your kingdom. Let's stand together. I don't want to end without pointing out that even if you've been a thief, even if you were someone that you're sitting here and maybe you say, Brother Martin, actually, I do steal. I steal every week. Jesus hung on a cross between two thieves. The one just kept reviling him, but the other, although he began by cursing him, the moment comes when he recognizes something different about Jesus and he cries out for mercy. Lord, remember me. And Jesus says, today you, a thief, are gonna be with me in paradise. Aren't you thankful that there's forgiveness for thieves? Amen, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us Uh, how to live a righteous, holy life. And I pray that you would help us to, through the power of the Holy Spirit to live in a way that pleases and honors you in all that we do, in the way we treat our possessions and in the way we treat the possessions of others. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.